0: Hey, future applauders. Do you like talking about movies like smart movies, dumb movies, science fiction movies, horror movies, fantasy movies?
1: Do you like listening to people talk about a movie longer than it would take you to actually watch the movie? Do you sit with your friends and rant at great length about things you're passionate about? You may be interested in shocked and applaud. Join us while we go through peculiar movies Traditional movies, movies that we just like, movies that we find are sort of like, huh? Do we follow somebody on social media and then they posted about a movie and we're just going to watch it now? Sure, why not? Our podcast is completely unscripted, so you're going to stumble through things with us because we stumble a lot. We're going to laugh. We're going to talk about what's problematic. But really, it comes down to talking about movies. You can visit us at shockedandapplaud.com, on Twitter, at shockedapplaud. And Facebook at Shocked and Applaud.
2: We hope to see you there. I'm Bo Maddox.
1: I'm Robert Ortegon. And I'm Ashley Chancellor.
2: And this is Collateral Cinema. <laughs> Welcome to a special anniversary episode of Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast, so whatever you have, smoke it if you've got it. And yeah, this is a celebration episode, so definitely smoke whatever you have with us, and also, maybe drank a beer or two with us. So, yeah, it's our anniversary episode. We've been doing this for six goddamn years, man—six mm-hmm. seasons. Damn. Wow, guys! Like, what do you, what do y'all think?
0: Damn, has it been that long? I don't know. It really has. Really? But... Yeah. Don't even know.
2: Yeah. Who knows, man? I mean, so, it's yeah, difficult to believe, right?
1: We're we're in season six, so and we've done basically five years continuously. Of collateral cinema, um, which I've been a part of through midway through the first season, and, and yeah, I mean, just kind of seeing us grow, seeing us um, develop into what we are today. I mean, didn't we hit? Uh, did we hit twelve thousand or?
2: We we're over twelve thousand one hundred downloads at the at this point, I believe.
1: Nice, yeah. yeah. So, man, it has been a pleasure to be a part of this. It's been um, really just kind of one of the big passions in my life, honestly.
2: It really has, man. I mean, it's it's crazy to think going all the way back to 2017. That was when I initially uh, recorded the first pilot episode. I recorded it, of course, with Joseph Cantu. too. He's not on the podcast right now, obviously, but you know, he he did help uh, launch this show. And let me tell you, I mean. This, that original episode, goddamn! Foo was Fighters. For, no, yeah, our, uh-huh. our first first episode was Foo Fighters, uh-huh. but our pilot episode, that is the movie that we are talking about today, which is Takashi Miike's audition, and that's right. We are still sticking with the Miike theme, right? Right, and yep. in fact,
1: uh, this. Season because you know it's kind of Like the five year mark for us since you know We've kind of been doing this continuously We decided to do a two part anniversary, so this is part one of That we're going over uh, The redux of Audition the original Pilot episode and part two is going to be The uh, Takashi Miike Ace Attorney movie because uh, I really want to watch that That, I love the Ace Attorney video game Series so (laughs) to hear that Takashi Miike the legendary Chad himself uh, directed a, a film adaptation of that franchise, amazing, has to be seen. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, Takashi Miike is just... He is a Chad. There's
2: no other way to describe it. Honestly... Has, has has made how many films? He's made, at this moment, like over 100, well over 100 by this point. And, I mean... I agree with you there. I mean, especially if you've ever really watched any of his interviews. I mean, just the way that he really explains his style and explains what he goes for in his movies. I mean, it's it's really interesting, like, how he approaches violence, how he approaches, you know, character development and how the characters interact with each other. And, I mean it it's really it's really interesting and fascinating to watch how you know his career really moves forward from this movie cuz this was this was very much a breakout
1: you know this is 1999
2: yeah this was a very important pivotal year for him you know i, I believe like he had, he had yet to I, I don't remember if he did Ichi uh, before or after this hmm. uh yeah ash is looking that up right now but, I mean, th- this was really the movie that kind of defined, you know, uh, and, and defined and it cemented uh, mike's reputation here in the States in yeah. so many ways. Hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and by the way, Ichi was uh, 2001, actually. So a couple years after this.
2: Couple of years after this, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, the, of course, the movie that a lot of people remember the most. And we did an episode on that. We did a Meek Anniversary on that one.
1: I mean, to be honest, Audition and Ichi the Killer seem to be the most often mentioned ones. Probably yeah. next
2: a- after that is Visitor Q. Visitor, yes. Q. Visitor Q was the movie that broke Dakota. The
1: movie <laughs> that Dakota. broke
2: Dakota. Why we we would always bring that up to this day.
1: That's why we
0: don't
2: see them anymore. Yeah. Unfortunately, no. no. Uh, god damn it. damn it! Oh, god damn it! We lost the McCulkin. We lost the McCulkin. The McCulkin. Oh my God! Yes, that's right. We. I, I wish we could have gotten Dakota in here for this. Damn this would have been hilarious. When he, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't know, he, he's 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 squicked out by Mieke's work now. <laughs> okay, so
1: you know Mieke-san is a visionary, or I should say Mieke Sensei
2: miyake Sensei. Miike
1: Sensei is a visionary man. He's he's just he's just based in every aspect of his filmmaking career. He he's done the most disturbing horror shit you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. He's also just done goofy shit. He's also just done you know fucking as the gods will adaptations of video games, children's movies, right?
2: Yeah, he's done a couple of children's movies like the Great Yokai War and whatnot. So, yeah, and Talk also about range. Yeah, that it's real range. He, he, of course, he even did a video game movie. You know, like uh, Phoenix Wright, the, yeah. the, the aforementioned huh. Phoenix Wright movie. Oh, what Dead or Alive also, right? Dead or Alive is amazing. Yeah, that, that's actually a trilogy of movies, and it is fucking awesome.
1: Nice.
2: Now, yeah. Ro- now Robert. Yes. I I mean I, I should ask say the ask this of both of you. It's like. Or say this to both of you, like, y'all weren't on the podcast when we did this. This was just Joseph and I. Like, Uh so, Robert, what did you really think about when you were watching this movie?
0: Huh. Actually, didn't know what to think in the beginning. Yeah, it kind of was a little... I thought it was just like some creepo looking for a wife.
2: It it kind of feels yeah. that way, right? Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll get into like the more creepler elements of this. It's very yeah. yeah, some problematic stuff there.
1: And well, like you come into this movie knowing what it is. I think I think all of us did, right? I mean, we knew that it was gonna be torture porn later, you know. So it's just kind of like the build up to that, and two thirds of the movie at least are just build up. Yeah.
2: It really is. I mean, it, it actually feels more like a standard like, just romantic drama, maybe with some comedic elements to it. Like, I guess the montage is a little silly, the the, the audition montage.
1: But then there's, like, the commentary on the male gaze, and it's like...
2: <laughs> and, and the way that it's inverted, you know, because yeah. there's so many scenes here where whenever Ayama and Asami are in the same room, it's like they're, they're rarely ever actually speaking to each other. There, there's mm-hmm. always this distance between them, even when they're close together. It's always, like, really inferred, you know? And and But especially, like, whenever you see her in her initial audition, and, like, you only get a little glimpse of her, and then she sits down, and then there's that that's one scene where the camera just kind of is behind her, and then it starts just kind of going beyond her, and then it just starts panning in on Ayama, and he's yeah. just smitten, you know?
1: I, I like all the uh, the spontaneous jump cuts. I don't know if those are intended or not, actually. A
2: lot of them are intentional.
1: Well, actually, yeah, because later on, that comes in, and we get those parts of the conversation that were omitted, right?
2: Yeah. Oh. So those jump cuts, uh. oh,
1: my God, it's finally clicking for
2: me. That's huh. crazy. <laughs>
1: You see what I'm talking about, Robert?
0: Still still a little weird. I don't know.
2: Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely a weird movie. Yeah.
1: It's genius,
2: though.
0: Those cuts were weird, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I think,
1: I think I actually enjoyed this more than um, anything else I've seen from Miyake up to this point, to be honest with you.
2: I would say that when it comes to his disturbing uh, aspects of cinema, this right here is probably his more accessible work right here this is yeah. way more accessible and a lot of it is because of that first half to two-thirds of the movie you know where it's just this very slow drama about this about you know this lonely old you know widower you know and he's trying to find himself a uh, a wife and he meets this very broken lady and is just smitten by her and it seems like it's just going to kind of be tragic like that but not in the way that you that it turns out. You know what I mean? Yeah. What
1: what I think it's interesting too is that it's it, it's obviously fucked up what she does, but this all just sort of feels like it's an extension of the fact that uh, it's like the position that they're in in the first place because Aoyama just has this, um, well, it's this really kind of skeevy uh, plan here, you know, he's his son, who he actually has a wholesome relationship with, we'll talk about that later, but he recommends that Aoyama actually like, finally get remarried, it's been years since the wife died, whatever, and so he kind of, like, he he, he talks to his buddy who sets up um, a film audition, an, an audition, and they, uh, interview several girls but he's just smitten
2: by Asami and i mean he he's initially smitten by her words that's the, the most interesting part of it like i mean he he reads uh, her her little uh the, the little uh, paragraph that she writes about her background and everything and i mean it it, it is a compelling background i i won't lie you know i mean I can kinda see why he went for her. You know, there's that there's just this kind of innocence to her, sort of, but Yeah, but but it's But there's also still that obvious damage to her. Right, right.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, right? And so you kind of and, and as the movie moves on, you start to wonder about what's real and you know what is a dream or a hallucination or Something
0: else. Yeah, lucid dream or something.
2: Yeah, I mean that—that's something that you brought up, Robert, a lot was lucid dreaming. Yeah, like I mean, you really think that uh, that that Aoyama is kind of in control of what he is seeing, and that's maybe his way of processing what he did.
0: I don't know. I keep thinking like uh, Inception and Vanilla Sky. You know,
2: definitely. It's definitely uh, analogous to those movies. Some sort of
0: dream within a dream or something, right?
2: Yeah, that's something we'll get into here in a little bit. I mean, I really have some thoughts on that. Like, initially, I think the most important part of this movie are the date scenes in the various restaurants. It's, It's really, really some very interesting visual storytelling going on there, you know? Like, for instance, like that very first date that they go to, they go to a very kind of... Very high end, very hoity-toity kind of fine dining experience. That's an experience that's very light, very colorful. It's mm-hmm. it's very lively. I mean, it's meant to kind of, you know, represent you know the budding of a relationship there. But initially, that's where you start to see that there are holes in their in their uh, in their interactions with each other. You start to notice a lot of those jump cuts. And you start to notice yeah. that there's intentionally things that are being left out here, you know, and that's especially true in that first restaurant scene, you know, and and it's interesting that the first thing that we see is we see Alyama from Asami's uh, point of view, at first, You're like we, and and uh, he's kind of in, in the background. It's like there's like these shutters or something, you know. I mean, I'm not really sure what that would symbolize, but I, I thought that. Just, yeah, I noticed that. Just aesthetically speaking, that's very striking, and it also maybe it's kind of foreboding, you know. Like maybe there's just something that's kind of going to slowly enclose upon him a little bit, you know, kind of like how so, like certain shutters are wont to do.
1: You right. Know? Mm. Something's
2: just closing in on him, maybe. Yeah, there's a lot
1: of interesting imagery going on here. Just the way that the shots are done, the lighting, the colors. I mean, just all throughout. And Miyake is kind of a a master of that craft, you know, throughout his films, I've noticed.
2: Exactly. And then there's the second restaurant scene. The second restaurant scene, it's not so much a restaurant, it's more like a little casual bar or something like that. I would say maybe like it's a little tapas restaurant or something. And... That's where you really start to get a feel that there's something very off about the dynamics between uh, Asami and uh, Aoyama because it's very obvious that Aoyama is being very selective in how he in, in how he conceptualizes Asami as a person. Yeah, you know, like he's really building up a very idealized version of her. That <laughs> I mean. It, it kind of comes back to it over and over again.
1: You know what's funny is I can almost kind of relate to that, the whole, like, building an idealized version of somebody because you're just desperate for that thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we've all kind of been there, sort of. Yeah. There's something kind of relatable there.
1: Well, and it's weird because Aoyama in that one particular aspect is like, yeesh, that's that's pretty skeevy. But then there's, there's just fucking, you know... His relationship with his son which is honestly kind of wholesome he is they actually speak if you pay attention to uh, the Japanese they actually speak informally with each other which indicates that they're they're close to each other whereas you know um, you might hear a son call his father Tosan he calls his father Oyaji which is just you know, hey, old man. Basically,
2: <laughs> I and I really like the dynamic between Aoyama and uh, his son, and I like th- I like the way that the scenes with him, it's almost always framed around eating, around eating at the dinner table. It's always about dinner, you know. It's yeah, seen- and and then there's the whole thing where his son is into uh, dinosaurs and whatnot, and which plays into him having his own little uh, date come over
1: that's true you know it's funny it's like what there's a moment at the film where Ayame uh, just just tells his son uh shigehiko uh you know he just kind of gives he knows that like hey you've got a girl over he gives him that
2: little like little yeah the 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 i don't know what you call the, that's the the okay symbol which okay unfortunately symbol, right? has, has unfortunate implications nowadays that's What but. i was
1: thinking. Yeah, so he gives it, like like the okay symbol, you know, and and it's like okay, yeah, like father respecting the shit. He's like, yeah, I'll get out of the house, like
2: so, yeah, I'll, I'll give you some time. And everything.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah!
2: <laughs> but it's interesting how his his son's uh, little girlfriend plays into his uh, kind of meltdown near the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But yeah, I mean that whole scene in the. Uh, in the diner. I mean, you see, it's, it's, it's starting to become a little more casual. That's, that's where you start to see. That's where they're, they're starting to become more familiar with each other. Right. In a way. And, and, and also, I mean, there's also that one scene there, that, that one moment where everybody just completely vanishes, you know. Yeah. And, and it's just Asami and Elyama just talking to each other. That's the lucid right. dream part, dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what you, yeah. You think so? That's that's a Aoyama just kind of taking control and just being like, yeah, it's it's just me and her.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That, that could make sense.
0: Like that whole world is just some sort of makeshift yeah. dream or I don't know.
2: Yeah. But what's interesting is how it shifts over into the final restaurant that we see which is this very dark and foreboding kind of almost hellish environment. Mm. There's reds and there's black all over. And you can see that, you know, Aoyama, he's completely like, he's like awash in very warm colors and very bright reds and everything. But then you see Asami and she's kind of seated in an area where there's just darkness. There's, There's kind of almost a void there. And there's also that angular staircase behind her where people are going it's It's very much in the shadows it's It's where you're really starting to see that you know this woman is not she's not good news, you yeah, know? it's like there's something more about her, yeah
1: yeah i think I think you you start to catch on to that. you know what's funny, I'm kind of seeing some parallels here with imprint because that's another. A uh, very torture-heavy one. Arguably, I mean, that one I think is actually this one's kind of tame compared well, to imprint. It's
2: it's interesting that you bring up imprint because the uh, screenplay of that was written by the original author of uh, of the original audition novel, Ah. Uh, Ray Mirakami or something like that. I think that's the the name. And uh, yeah, so there's a so there's a little parallel there. So, so yeah, I mean, it does kind of have that uh, same motif and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, in, in that diner scene and in the restaurant scenes, it's like, I think that that really just encapsulates the entirety of the plot of the movie just visually, you know? And it's a very interesting way to kind of move the story forward. Because, I mean, like I said, I mean, there is kind of a motif of eating, like a, a lot of a lot of the things and the relationships that go that go on around here, it's usually revolved around you know eating, around dining, you know. I mean, it's how we really get to know Asami and Aoyama. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That that is interesting. That is kind of where the characters actually meet, and part of you know what is probably reality. I mean, we don't really get into like the dream sequence stuff until the third act.
2: Yeah, there so. You go. But, I mean, there's there's that moment after, there's that moment when they go on their uh, vacation. You know, yeah. they go on an outing. And that's where you really see the tone kind of shift in the movie. Is that's, that a love hotel? I don't think it's a straight love motel. I think it's more of a beach house getaway or yeah. something like that. It's it's, it's just more of a resort, it feels like.
1: Because there's a comment, you know, one of the, there's a worker that makes a comment that like, hey, your partner is leaving. Yeah. So you know, it's kind of like yeah. There's kind of an implication that it's that it's like a couple thing.
2: It, it's definitely a couple's retreat or something like that. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm saying like I mean, most of those love motels in Japan they Aren't have like a themed, very specific right? they have a very specific theme to them. It's like yeah. that one right there. That just almost felt like a bed and breakfast practically. You're
1: right. Yeah, you know? that was the only thing that d- that seemed off to me. If that were the case, yeah.
2: Yeah, but that's where we get the. The tone shift of the movie. Mm -hmm. That's where, you know, Asami just becomes very quiet, very methodical. She takes her clothes off, beckons Aoyama to come over, tells him to keep his clothes on, and she shows him her scars, saying that she burned herself. But, I mean, that's when, and and then that's after that, that's when Aoyama goes to, you know, embrace her in bed, and then he just wakes up, and she's not there. And then, like you said, the the workers, he's he's just like, your partner left. It's like, well, will you be checking out at the same time? And and he's just like mystified. But what's interesting is that the tonal shift is shown visually again because in the first part of the movie, you see a lot more still images. It's like the camera has a stillness to it, you know? And the only other times that you really saw it move a whole lot was during the audition scene you know yeah. which we haven't even really gotten into the audition itself right but it's like that first part of the movie it's it's very still it's very you know almost picturesque then after that you start seeing more shaky cam you know you the the cam starts you know becoming a little more you know a little more distorted a little more unstable and that's when you really start to see the uh you start to see the cracks start to form yeah there you know, and, and especially in that one scene where Aoyama goes to his buddy who set up the audition, and he's just like, well, what? You're not going to help me find this woman? And he's just like, dude, forget this girl. He's, she's bad news. Something is off here. Ishikawa. Like, Ish- Ishikawa. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I mean, we can't find anything about this girl. You know, it's like nothing she said in her resume fucking checked out.
1: You want to know something interesting that I actually noticed during the, uh, audition scene and and afterward is that uh aoyama and uh asami yamazaki actually share a a kanji in their surnames yeah uh, yama which is mountain
2: huh interesting
1: yeah and i and i think that that actually is a carryover from the book in the book i think a lot of the characters are at least like on the wikipedia page they're just credited as their last names except for her
2: yeah exactly
1: so like it seems like there was kind of that intentional connection from the beginning. I feel like.
2: So like, I wonder what the uh, imagery of a, of mountains would in infer. I mean, yeah, I, I don't wonder. know, but
1: it's interesting that it's in both of their both of their names. Interesting. Both of their both of their surnames.
2: Maybe it just kind of shows how immovable they both are in their relationship, in a way. But also how yeah. how kind of distant they are, maybe.
1: Yeah. You yeah, know? that's real interesting, right? Yeah. Cuz like Yoshikawa has has the uh, kanji for river, I know.
2: Interesting. Yeah. That that is that's some interesting thematic wordplay there. I think so.
1: Although to be fair, Yama and Kawa are very common uh kanji in um and and surnames, so
2: But I don't know. It's interesting that you have the imagery of mountains and rivers there. You know, and and
1: they're right next to each other in the auditions, and you can see their the their their kanji for their names right next to each other on those nameplates, and I was kind of kind of looking it, back that's and forth. Very
2: in it. interesting.
1: Yeah. 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 Maybe there's something going on there.
2: There might be. Yeah. I I <laughs> see. That's the thing. I'm not as well versed in Japanese kanji as you are, so that would have gone over my head.
1: More or less. <laughs> it's the things that I'm noticing, you know, while watching this. Um, And even just while listening to this and and, and watching, you know, because we watched this one subbed a lot of Miyake's films we've watched dubbed in the past. Um, But this time we were watching it subbed and I I actually could pick up on a lot of what, you know, the intricacies and uh, of what they were saying. Yeah. To a degree. I mean, my my Japanese is very rough, but (laughs) it's a work in progress.
2: (laughs) Well, what else did you all see visually in this movie that, you know, kind of piqued your interest? Robert?
0: Huh. We're only seeing it once, really. I don't know. Wish yeah. we could be playing it right now, but...
2: Yeah, but we were having issues with the TV. Yeah, we were having technical difficulties and everything, but... um, I Honestly, honestly, like, what, let's go ahead and get into the uh, audition itself. Like, I mean, what did you think of that scene, Robert?
0: Huh. Where he was trying to find... Yeah. Like, the right girl.
2: I don't know.
1: Huh. We get a montage of a lot of different actresses, right? Yeah, Lots. some of them crazier than others. A like,
2: little, a little bit, a little more yeah. off the
1: wall. Some of them like, 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 or some of them just like fucking, just like, okay, business as usual. Yeah, right. And drop in their clothes, and it's like, hey, man,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I respect the hustle of sex workers.
2: Hey, yeah, you gotta respect the hustle. Gotta, you gotta respect it.
1: the hustle, right? Yeah, but Grind. it's
2: it's kind of interesting. Robert, that initially uh, Yosh- Ishikawa and Aoyama, they're filmmakers, right? They're film yeah. producers. And that that's how they get this audition going. Like, I mean, you've made, we made some movies. A
0: couple before. of films. We made
2: a couple of couple films. A like, couple of shorts. Like, like, I don't know. We never really had an audition process for anybody. But
0: nah, <laughs> it's, uh, if, no if, if, audition required, really.
2: Like, if we did do an, an, an audition, Robert, how do you think we would go about it?
0: Well, there needs to be a Lisa and a Tommy and a Denny.
2: You know. <laughs> yeah, we got we got to get the roles down
0: first. And a Chris R.
2: <laughs> but what would we we what would we be looking in in an actor? I don't know, but
1: I have the casting couch.
2: Oh yeah, that's right. You do have the casting what couch. What would we be looking for? <laughs> yeah, probably, we were... probably more method, right? More method. Just I got what you. I'm thinking. Yeah. More realism, right? Or you could just be like Tommy, just be like scream loud, scream or loud, or scream.
0: Wind machine. <laughs> We dub his voice, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the audition itself. There's all kinds of interesting women there, but you could you could totally see uh, Elyama. He's just really fucking like anticipating Asami's arrival. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's literally waiting. the very last uh, one for the day,
1: or one of the
2: last. One one of the last think- last auditions of the day.
1: Yeah, they mentioned there were going to be a few more, but she's near the end of the list, which actually makes sense because Yamazaki would actually be listed towards the end of a a Japanese alphabet, I believe. Yeah, Uh, that If you were listing in alphabetical order, you know, by the furigana, I guess, Yamazaki
2: would be towards the end. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, uh, Yama, he does a little... He kind of does, like, a little speech, I guess you could say, when Asami comes in, you know, or, like, some type of statement about, you know, her, her resume and everything, and it's just, like, he, he goes a little overboard there, doesn't he? Yeah. That's what I, I yeah, he's, 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 he's already smitten. He's he already, and, and his friend it's notices,
1: like, and it's like, hey, man, like, I don't know, this level of interest is not healthy, and I get it, I get I get that level of interest. <laughs> I've been there before, but, um, uh, I wouldn't employ any of these kinds of methods. No, I mean, but it's, it's a very different subculture, I guess, you know, it's like, we kind of have this scene in the bar where Aoyama and Yoshikawa are, are drinking and they're talking about how, like, you know, like Japan is doomed. Why? Because, you know, women have agency, I guess. <laughs>
2: Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, he's they're uh, commenting on these uh, ladies that are having a good time, you know, just mind your own business. And they're just like, oh, yeah, these fucking women.
1: I think what's going on here is that Aoyama is as much a victim of male gaze as anybody else. Of
2: patriarchy and the male gaze, exactly. <laughs> you, know? you know? I mean, the fact that there's so many aspects of his character that is laudable, but. You know, then he just the fact that he agrees to go along with this and then gets this unhealthy fucking uh, connection with uh, awesome. It's like and, and then there's just the age difference and everything. It's just like, I mean, it's like, what did you think was going to happen, dude?
1: Yeah. Yeah, my exactly. dude. <laughs> My brother in Christ
2: My brother in Christ
1: <laughs> What did you think was going to happen Yeah, no, and then, you know, shit hits the fan in the third act And that's where the movie just, wow
2: Well, it really starts to kind of go off the rails whenever he Right before that, right? Whenever he goes uh, looking for, uh, for os- any information on Awesomy You know, first he goes to uh, her ballet school
1: and, yep. and then we get, like, old man in wheelchair, son.
2: Old man in wheelchair, son. Yeah, he, yeah, of course, he's a pervy old man in wheelchair. who is incidentally, the uh, the mob boss from Gozu, the, the one who likes to have right. spoons up his ass. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, you didn't see Gozu with us, did you? Uh, oh. I don't think so.
1: He died with a spoon up his ass. Damn. He died with a spoon.
2: With, with a ladle up
1: his ass. And might, the I, biggest erection he'd ever had in his life.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. (laughs) It's like, Robert, we need to get you over here more often.
0: Damn it. (laughs) Well, I quit my job, so we're good
1: now.
2: (laughs) Yay! Robert quit his job! Yay! So are you telling
1: me, Robert, that you are ready for an audition? (laughs) You ready for your audition, Robert? I don't know. (laughs) Ready for my close-up. Stay tuned for Collateral Media OnlyFans content. Oh, God. coming soon.
2: What, what, what would we even put on there? I, I, I'm not <laughs> doing any, any sexual favors for anybody. <laughs> Nobody. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, what would we even put on our OnlyFans? We
0: show our feet for a hundred dollars.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Stupid. We just
2: have our feet in front of the camera while we're doing a podcast. Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks yeah, top. Just, just our nasty ass fucking feet. Just be like, yeah, <laughs> this is our working man's feet right Twenty dollars a is, pop. Yep, this is our working man's feet. Twenty dollars a photo. I mean, we're talking. <laughs> we're talking cash here. We're talking cash, American. Cold hard cash. Cold hard cash, American $20 bills, dollars. <laughs> Cold
0: hard Chris twenty dollar bills.
2: <laughs> oh man. Oh man. All but, right, so you want to
1: know the exact moment where the film turns into horror, right?
2: Right. Okay? Okay. It, it's the scene with the bag, right? It's 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 when the bag moves. Oh, that's yeah, that's that first real Inclination that there that there is something messed up going on here. Like when that bag moves, it's just out of nowhere. It's it's actually a pretty masterfully done jump scare, honestly. And and it's foreboding up to that point. It's
1: like okay, she's sitting in front of the telephone, just waiting for it to ring. And, and
2: then later on, you find out that there was a the bar that she worked with was shut down because of a murder, and there were extra body parts found. Like what was it? What yeah. Was like it was like two or three fingers, an ear, a tongue, and Something else? I mean, I think that was it.
1: Yeah, I know she did have a thing about cutting feet off, but that didn't turn up.
2: Yeah, no, I mean the feet turned up. I mean, but once you see what's in the bag, which yeah, the, 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 there's a dude in a bag, and and he and he's pretty fucked up. Yeah, he's very messed up.
1: Notice how all the victims have their feet cut off, and and if if uh, <laughs> if this is all a dream, then Aoyama has a weird thing about the. F- the feet getting cut off, and that's like his like weird manifestation of is uh, it like
2: like some weird hero guru fucking foot fetish thing, like or maybe it's
1: you know kind of like loss of agency, not being able to move. That's probably what Miyuki was going for. Yeah, I mean, or Murakami.
2: I mean, that's that's a fetish somewhere, I would imagine. <laughs> I, I'm Tarantino not sure. I, I don't want to even go look for it, so. <laughs> uh
1: yeah we're not going to talk about good old now yeah <laughs> but no like yeah and from that point in you know, the movie i think that's where the movie just finally goes like off the rails completely is when when the, the the bag moves right it's like the first like jump scare right and then the movie just kind of just becomes completely different you know and for the, and it's a straight up horror movie it goes into straight point. up horror it yeah, goes exactly. yeah. into the gore it goes into the torture the torture's not i mean it's pretty tame by today's standards
2: i guess but
1: you know there's a lot of oh, implied but, pain and that's i think that's you know that's but, what kind of makes you grit your teeth and
2: let me tell you back then i mean this was before torture porn was a thing i mean i wouldn't call this a torture porn movie yeah but it definitely inspired that genre a lot i it's mean a precursor to like saw you know I would, I would say, yeah, saw and Hostel. Yes. Hostel. Like Hostel really took a lot from this movie, honestly.
0: Oh man,
2: yeah, especially with the uh, the whole rubber, uh, the rubber apron and the rubber gloves and everything. Yeah,
0: that's definitely Hostel. And, and and
2: having having like a uh, cadre of different weapons to use to torture.
0: Yeah. Kitty, kitty,
2: kitty, 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 kitty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and her her choice of uh, torture implements are very interesting, right? They're almost like kind of dainty and feminine in their way. They're, it's the
1: steel wire, Acu- yeah, the, the acupuncture steel wire needles.
2: and yeah, acupuncture needles. Yeah, well, I mean, th- that that's another thing. That's a traditionally Asian uh, form of medicine, right there. Medicine, but you know, if
1: I could write Donald Trump's <laughs> name in the death note, I think this is the cause of death. I'd go for
2: really. You would go for audition death or
1: Alex Jones. So so, Tucker so so you,
2: you would just write down is like dies like in audition, yeah. Wow, you think that would work?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like
2: I mean, maybe they would just have a heart attack because if I could
1: picture it, then could... it could work, right? Oh yeah, I guess so. Say so dies in the manner that uh, Aoyama is tortured in the 1999 Takashi Miike film Audition.
2: Wow. This is a very specific fucking thing that we're going down. It's a very specific road, Ash. What the fuck? But yeah, the torture scene itself, it's preceded by a dream sequence where where we really see uh, El-Yamov just process, I mean, his relationship with Asami up to that point. And he's starting to realize that, you know, maybe, just maybe, his, the entire relationship was just kind of on built on a foundation of bullshit, you know? And that and that, you know, the fact that he didn't know who the fuck he was, and that he didn't even really learn that much about her. Uh to to me, like like coming from a demisexual perspective, it's like that that's alien to me because it's just like you should you should want to really get to know the person that you're interested in like that and it and it doesn't seem like he really goes that route and that plays into you know all that stuff that was omitted from the the dialogue that made uh, it from the dates it starts to come back in this dream sequence right and you start to see that she was very much telling him that hey i'm i've gone through some shit it's like i'm i'm still kind of uh, in in the middle of a cycle, you know, a cycle of abuse, you know, that she's and she's perpetuating that cycle on the dude in the bag. That's what that's meant to reference, and that's why she's, she's, uh, she's feeding him her puke, which, by the way, uh-huh. is real puke. Yep. That was, she really did that. That's method acting, right, Robert? Oh, yeah. Total some, method. Some Brando. I know, right? Brando would fucking puke in a bowl, wouldn't Damn he? Yeah. He yes. would fucking puke in a bowl. Definitely would. What, about, what about the Dean?
0: He would too. The
2: dean would fucking puke in a bowl if he was in this movie.
0: I know they'd both fling it across the room. But like, would
2: they would they eat the puke, like like the dude in the bag does?
0: Probably fling it across the room like Tommy Wazoo.
2: Oh, right. <laughs>
1: the puke he was eating wasn't the real puke, right?
2: I'm no. gonna say no, but <laughs> probably yes. It was pee- oh. It was a uh,
0: it was pea soup from The Exorcist.
2: Ugh, gross! I don't know. It it just looked like really rancid soy milk or something. I don't Ooh, know.
0: Baby shit. Ugh. Baby gross. shit
2: puke. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's in, in that dream sequence we see. Uh, we see the uh, restaurant scenes come up again. I mean, that once again, going back to how I feel that those are the most significant parts of the movie. It's like, and then it it starts bringing up all these other women in. Uh, aliyama's life you know starts bringing up bringing up the secretary that that he slept with like right this poor secretary like oh man this poor girl she was so wanting him to just you know say anything to her about what happened
1: yeah so she's saying that like she's gonna get uh she's gonna get she's gonna get married which you know you kind of start to question the the context here you're like okay so like is there like is there a thing going on here and then later on in the film they answer that in the
2: dream sequence it's like yeah no he he had an affair with this secretary and very obviously just kind of threw her aside because she wasn't the she wasn't the standard of beauty for him you know
1: yep yeah and and like you know that she's like you said you know there's a a moment where it looks like she's expecting for him to say something and he just kind of, yeah, he walks away.
2: Yeah. No. Yeah. Or, or that one last moment. It's like where she's uh, going and say, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving. And then she's like, he's like, okay. Yeah. And then there's just that little silence there. I feel so bad for that poor girl. It's like, it's that, see that, that was again, it, it shows that El Yama is not fucking, his hands are not clean here. Right. I don't feel his hands are clean here. Like, in, in in the original episode we did on this, I was maybe a little more sympathetic to him, but not so much now. I, I'm just like, no, dude, you knew what you were doing. It's like, you could have objected to this. It's like, you could have just gone off with your secretary, and honestly, probably nobody would have really batted an eye at that point. You know? Objection! <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. But... But yeah I mean, in the dream sequence, we see uh, his wife come back, and they he introduces Osminary, awesome and then his wife is just like, No, honey, no, darling don't don't do this, don't be with this woman. She's not right for you, yeah, it's like and and that's like the ultimate manifestation of his guilt over all of this, you know
1: and and then apparently, you know you're the one that that's that basically had told me the theory that like. The the point in the movie that you would you would think that that seems to be presented as a false awakening is actually the dream, and the rest of what we thought was reality well, was what, a dream. What it,
2: what it is is that there's that moment during the dream sequence where he kind of awakes. You you kind of yeah, that's the false awakening you talk about, right?
1: Yeah, there's a th- that that's a false awakening. Right, and we think that but, that and we think that that's a dream, but that's actually a real awakening. That's that's reality. a real
2: awakening. Yeah, that's reality. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the actual reality. He's just kind of sitting there and he's kind of being like, "Okay," is like, and she accepts his proposal. and He's like, "Proposal? Proposal? I didn't propose." It's like, what the fuck did I propose? What did I say? So, so it, it shows that he was one hundred percent being superficial in this entire relationship,
1: you know? And now he's just kind of like, that's weighing on him. That's what this dream is about because he just promised to love this woman and only this woman.
2: And now he's contemplating that. He's contemplating like, oh, okay. But Hmm. as, as it turned out...
1: You know, he took that extreme to his in his mind in his, in his world. Mind, yeah, that that wouldn't include you know his son or anybody else in his life.
2: So in a way, I mean, the torture scene is kind of both kind of a self-flagellation in his mind, but also kind of a way to shift the the blame for all this onto Osami. Yeah, you know, that's kind of what it is. It's shift. It's him shifting the blame for his scheminess onto awesome me because he's just like holy shit this fucking girl she wants me to love her and only It's like what does that actually mean like it, it it's it's the implications that he's going through and and, and that implication leads him to oh my god she's going she's going to fucking torture me she's going to fucking kill yep. me it's like i it, especially when she finds out that i maybe i don't really want to be go through with this you know right But then there's that final moment where after uh, she confronts Shigehiko and uh, is knocked down the stairs, she's looking at uh, at Aoyama. Aoyama is completely broken. He's uh, broken, maimed, lost a foot. Uh He's just in the lowest point. And then she just starts speaking dialogue from one of their dates and it's yeah that to me is i think the ultimate indictment of what i was saying earlier that you know he's trying to shift this blame onto her yeah you know you know that that final moment that's like him trying to fucking make her kind of take take responsibility for all of it
1: Yeah. yeah yeah interesting so i wonder how this kind of plays out following that dream you know
2: uh very awkwardly <laughs> <laughs> yeah but anyway i honestly think that's probably a moment to go ahead and start uh wrapping things up and get to our final thoughts uh ash we'll start with you what are your final thoughts
1: all right so yeah like i mentioned before i think out of all of the Miki films i've seen up to this point I, I think i did enjoy this one the most i mean at least when it comes to you know his uh contribution to the the disturbing side of cinema and um it's not that this is more disturbing or or more graphic by any means than any of his other films or anything else but um i I think just in terms of writing in this genre uh, um i I love the whole structure of the movie i love the little details i love the ambiguity Uh, i think it just really kind of clicked for me and it makes sense why this is one of the the Miyake films that gets brought up the most. So again, you know, um, thank you, Miyake sensei for uh, your contributions. Thank you to uh, Murakami sensei for um, the original
2: work. Yeah, definitely. Robert, what are your feelings and your thoughts on this movie? Like when you first saw it and like, I mean, what are your final thoughts?
0: Um, Actually, it wasn't a bad film at all. I mean, it makes me want to go back and watch the hostile movies.
2: It it does, right? Yeah. Because I mean, you could really see where uh, where Eli Roth took a lot of inspiration from from movies like this.
0: Yeah, and it felt very David Lynchy to me, dude. Like, like yeah. Lost Highway or Mulholland Drive or something. See,
2: that's why we need to show you Gozu, dude. Because yeah. Gozu is even more Lynchian. <laughs> He, that's his most Lynchian work yet.
1: Holy okay. shit! Okay, it yeah. might be between this and Gozu actually. Now that I think about it, because
2: go- right. Gozu was pretty fucking crazy. Gozu is insane, dude. That that, that fi- the final ten minutes of the movie, Robert, you'll just be like,
0: "What? What the fuck? <laughs> what
2: did what the fuck just happened?" But yes, definitely go back and listen to our Mikaiversary episode on Gozu.
0: Wasn't a bad. I mean, right when uh he started uh. She started torturing him and then cutting him up with the saw. I mean, the foot part felt a lot like, you know, Saw or,
2: yeah. I Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Saw completely just lifted that com- like right off of uh the final few yeah. minutes of audition. I, I I would not be surprised, you know, because you know there was that whole conceit in the first Saw where they had oh to yeah, we're their own uh, hacking foot. the damn leg yeah. off
0: at the end of the movie, right? Look, yeah, to see who lives.
2: Yeah. So yeah, but I mean. What, would you recommend this movie, Robert? If you would hadn't you seen
0: it, yeah, I'd recommend you at least watch it once, you know? Definitely. Yeah. yeah.
2: But how disturbing do you think it is?
0: Pretty freaking disturbing.
2: Really? You really think it is?
0: A uh, little bit, I mean.
2: I mean, you, you've been here for some of our more disturbing movies, you know, like yeah. Ricky O and Martyrs. And
0: Honestly, yeah, anything you show me is pretty disturbing.
2: <laughs> yeah, you, like Eraser Head <laughs> and whatnot, like... Yeah. How, how do you think it it uh, stands up to those movies?
0: Uh, I think it fits right in there.
2: Oh, it's it's perfect, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: fits right in there.
2: But yeah, my, my final thoughts is, first of all, I think that it's actually an interesting conversion of a love story, for one. Like, it, it's kind of an anti-love story. Like, you really think um, that it's going to maybe end happily for Aoyama, but... It just doesn't, you know, it, reality just completely just caves in on him and he just starts to realize, oh shit, I mean, what the fuck did I do? But I mean, he's still trying to be an asshole about it and shift the blame onto Asami. Like, that's my, that's my uh. more modernized reading of this movie. I mean, y'all could compare that to the, uh, y'all can go ahead and compare that to the pilot episode. You know, where, like I said, I was maybe a little more sympathetic towards Ayama, mm-hmm. but not so much here, and I mean, I don't know it's like i I don't know if what uh, awesome does can be seen as empowering. I mean, I'm not a woman myself, so I can't really say that, but you know, I could kind of get how how it's kind of a response to her cycles of abuse, you know i mean it's it's how it's her just kind of shifting her trauma onto. Onto Aoyama, you know, and if you take the conceit that it's Aoyama's dream, you know, once again, that's still part of, you know, him just trying to shift all that sh- bullshit onto Asami, you know, he's like, she's the one that was insisted on that w- that was receptive to me. She was the one who was insisted on only me only loving her. She's like that. It's her. You know, it's all her shit. Yeah. And then initially, like she, she, bails on him, and she's and he's just like, he's just like, what the fuck, you know? But I think that the, I think that this movie is also a masterwork of a uh, of visual storytelling, you know, especially during the date scenes and everything. And yeah, it, the torture scene is pretty much iconic. It's iconic and it's very influential.
1: Kitty, 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 kitty.
2: So, yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite Takashi Miike movies of all time. There's a reason why it was the original pilot episode for this podcast. And honestly, I'm glad that we got to come back to it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing reduxes on some other uh, of our earlier work.
1: Uh huh. Redux of the room needs to happen. I think that's that's gonna be our hundredth episode. I think if we're not, I'm not mistaken. The yeah, our,
2: our actual numbered 100th episode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because
2: we have over 148 episodes on there, but it's that's not all the numbered Collateral Cinema episodes. The numbered
1: so episode 100, I should yeah. say.
2: <laughs> but all right, uh, Ash, what's going on with Collateral Gaming?
1: Well, uh, this month we are doing the Ace Attorney trilogy. So we're actually going to be kind of pitching that as uh, another collab with Collateral Cinema. Uh, And like I said before, we'll be doing part two of our Versary special on the Takashi Miike Ace Attorney movie. Really excited to watch that because I fucking love this franchise. Can't wait to talk about the game series.
2: Hell yeah, that's going to be awesome. Hell, also, yeah. this month we're doing Need
1: for Speed, which is gonna be another collab because it's a video game movie.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, a video game movie and a car movie. Oh yeah, which is which was picked by Robert here.
1: Oh,
0: yeah!
2: So, Robert, we need to hang out and play some Need for Speed
0: games, bro. Some games. Yeah, well, I have
2: the first three on on play on my PlayStation oh, Classics. So. Original
0: games. Some, maybe some Hot
2: Pursuit or yeah, something. some Hot Pursuit. Yeah, definitely something. Hot Pursuit. Like that was that's really fun.
1: But, yeah, stay tuned for that. I think uh, we may be doing a bonus round episode this month on um, on the Nintendo Direct, as well as talking about Metroid Prime Remastered, because I've been playing the shit out of that. And then, uh, if possible, I would like to do an episode on the Dead Space remake, because my buddy, Zach, and co-host does have a PS5. I don't, but I can watch him play through SharePlay, and I feel like that's... That for a game launch episode, that'll work um, I would love to do Hogwarts Legacy, honestly But I don't have a console, so
2: <laughs> I don't know, you sure you want to tread into that whole shit pile?
1: Uh, Alright, so this is, this is uh, the, the official stance, okay Of Collateral Gaming It is us making a personal decision where to draw the line in a system Where ethical consumption does not exist to begin with
2: so there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, essentially.
1: Right. So, you know, the position of that is that this is us. This is where we're drawing our personal line. And I, I'm separating the art from the artist. Well, I know that fair, there is some amount of royalties, but like I said, no, I, I guess fair option.
2: enough. Me personally, I, would, I wouldn't I would play it. I, I wouldn't play it personally. But then again, I, I don't really care about Harry Potter that much, and you know J.K. Rowling could go fuck herself. just she can't go fuck herself. herself,
1: Don't get me wrong, I agree. She can go fuck herself. She needs to shut the fuck up. Yeah, (laughs) like honestly, she really does because, like, you know, you're alienating your fan base. But I'm just saying, like, Uh, it's fair enough. There are devs that
2: worked on it.
1: Yeah, that's
2: that's a whole other thing. Like, it's it was a collaborative effort. That's that's what art is, you know. And video games are art, and they are a collaborative effort. Yeah. I wish that they wouldn't uh, crunch their developers so much, you know, in, in the gaming industry. But I that's wish a whole, that
1: didn't happen in the gaming that, industry. That's
2: a whole other issue right there. But
1: you can tell when it does, and it's it's bad. Um, so, yeah, that would like to do game recommendations as well, maybe, right possibly. So we'll see.
2: And, Robert, we're going to be filming the final scenes of Texas Sundown here very soon, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: Hell, yeah.
0: Just working on writing the scripts, you know.
2: Right on, dude. Hell yeah. Well, Just finishing
0: finish up on some of the scenes. Yeah.
2: I, I can't wait to see them, man. I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to film them.
0: Hell oh, yeah. Well, we'll go over all that, too. Yeah.
2: Excellent. Hell oh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely look for that. Look for Texas Sundown coming very soon. Like Maybe we'll cut a tra- trailer for it or something. And, yeah, look for all of the other cool stuff coming from Collateral Gaming and Collateral Cinema. So, I guess with that, we can go ahead and get the fuck out of here. I'm Bo Maddox. i
1: Robert Ortegon. And I'm Ashley Chancellor.
2: And... Giddy, 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 giddy. I want to fuck, 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 <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. fuck, fuck. <laughs> Leaders, y'all.